0: And Welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott, and I'm here to read you a few spooky bedtime stories. First up this week, I just wanted to let you all know that I was asked to be a guest on the amazing horror movie podcast, Watch If You Dare, and I had so much fun talking with Aaron and Derek about the classic horror movie, The Changeling. It was seriously one of my favorite guest spots I've ever done. That's Watch If You Dare, available wherever you get your podcasts. And the episode is out now, so go check it out. This week, I was so fortuitous to gather four horror stories that all had themes surrounding mobile phones and texting. If you have an addiction to social media, then this might be the episode to get you to finally cut down that screen time because tonight I have four horrifying tales of why we should probably just disconnect once in a while. First up is by author Clark Roberts. You know Clark from his stories, Sometimes and Vengeful Fangs. Sometimes is that one that made so many of you squirm at the end, so you know you're in for a good one. This is The Visitor. Samantha's phone chimed on an incoming message. She paused from folding the shirt with the rainbow colored unicorn on the front and instinctively flicked her eyes to the girl's bedroom window. Seated on Julie's bed, or was this the one Josie now slept in? Samantha had a perfect view of the summer day outside. The large oak trees in the front yard dappled the morning sunlight over the grass. She leaned and peeked down from the window. The twins were both still occupied in the sandbox. From inside and at this height of the old farmhouse, they looked impossibly small, impossibly vulnerable. They'd been outside for hours, staying busy in the sandbox and giving Samantha the break she so desperately needed. Yeah, some break. Vacuuming, dishes stacked to the ceiling, And now, the unending laundry task. She blew a lock of fallen hair from her eyes. Frank had built the massive sandbox for the girls the previous summer. Back then, there'd been shared duties with the housework. But, back then, certainly wasn't dropping by to visit anytime soon. Beside her on the bed, the cell phone screen lit up like a beacon as it rang in two more successive messages. Odd, because nobody ever reached out to her anymore. Half a year ago, even the reporters had ceased calling and sending emails filled with skepticism about Frank. Still, whenever Samantha drove into town, always towing the twins along, she felt eyes, tracking what was left of her family. As she entered the post office, when she pushed a shopping cart down any aisle, voices hushed and the silences became deafening. Considering all that, these rapid-fire incoming text messages coldly stroked the back of her neck. It was a beautiful summer morning, yet the drafting air of the farmhouse chilled her to the bone. It was like the old place had its own breath. She could simply ignore the texts. Most likely it was a prank. Some juvenile pricks had stumbled upon her phone number and were planning to make a day of tormenting her. Or maybe the reporters were back at it after a six month hiatus. Samantha glanced and her heart skipped a beat. The digital display read, The Visitor. She dropped the unicorn shirt and fell quickly. The house had never seemed so silent. Not only that, but Samantha had never felt so separated from the twins. She fought back the bubbling impulse to holler a warning out to the girls. She raised a hand to her trembling lips, and for the moment, only studied those two words beaming up at her. There was no picture attached with the visitor, and Samantha's inner eye dead-ended after rifling through her mental Rolodex. She couldn't recall ever saving that particular contact. But in the depths of her mind, the number flashing was unsettlingly familiar. A fourth message. She picked up the phone and swiped the unlocking code with a thumb. She quickly scrolled through the first two messages. How you doing, BFF? Been a minute. Let's catch up. The third message iced her fingertips. But the fourth stood the hairs of her arms on end. You miss Frank? stop ignoring me sammy the twins look cute playing in the sandbox samantha scanned the outside world nothing seemed out of place but then again anyone could be hiding in the cornfield across the road she texted back who is this where are you the incoming text bubbles floated before popping a return message to her screen You know who this is, and I'm closer than you'd ever guess. As fast as she could manage, Samantha typed, Is this some kind of joke? The response flashed almost immediately. It wasn't a joke when it was Frank's turn, now was it? Samantha, leave us alone or I'll call the cops. The visitor... Mayo, smiley face. Sammy calling the cops after what happened to poor Frankie. I'm coming up the drive now. Let me inside, or I'll go straight to the girls. Samantha clicked off her cell. There was a woman in a summer gown approaching the house. She stepped lightly and smoothly, giving off the appearance of floating towards the front door. Her hands were empty. Had she stuffed her cell phone away in the cotton gown? Unnoticed by the twins, the visitor glided past the sandbox where they dug with their plastic shovels. She disappeared beneath the roof, overhanging the wraparound porch. A second passed. Two. Three. Three. Samantha silently counted them out. She reached lucky seven, and then the gentle rap at the door. No vehicle in the drive, meaning the woman had traveled cross-country on foot from wherever she'd come from. This far out of town? The doorbell rang. Coming! Samantha trembled beneath her breath. She padded downstairs, willing herself not to sprint, so she could try to think straight. When she opened the door, it caught on the interior chain lock. The one she'd installed after her husband's departure. Had she actually locked the chain after shooing the twins outside for the morning? It made no sense, but then again, any more what did make sense? Hey there, BFF, the young visitor said. The lilt in her voice drew Samantha back to the present. Through the three-inch gap the chain permitted, Samantha peered past the visitor to where the twins continued playing in the sandbox. She licked her lips, then asked, Why are you here? am I here? The visitor said, as if sampling the question. Don't tell me you forgot reaching out to me, Sammy. No, that's not how it happened, Samantha said urgently. You texted me. I'm sorry, but I don't want you here. She went to shut the door, but the visitor put her hand up in the gap and firmly stopped it. Open the door and let me in. The visitor glared through the small space, and without looking away, she nodded back over her shoulder, as if reminding Samantha how alone the girls were. Samantha understood there was no other option. Was there ever? Certainly there hadn't seemed any option with Frank. So... Why would it be different this time? There'd been no option with Frank, the visitor said, shaking her head. What the hell? Had Samantha even voiced that aloud? It was as if the woman had plucked her thoughts like a flower's petals. Let me in. Okay then, Samantha said. Just let me get the chain." Samantha shut the door and paused before sliding out the lock, her thoughts racing at hyper speed. She didn't have to do this. She could shut herself in the basement, find a corner and sob and wait it out. The twins be damned, they had to learn to fight for themselves at some point. How could she think those things? Everything left in the world that mattered was in that sandbox, So how could she even entertain leaving them out there to fend for themselves? She slid the lock out, opened the door, and there the visitor stood, young and beautiful. Aren't you inviting me in? The woman asked, her eyes slowly traced down over Samantha, and lingered when they raised up. Of course. Samantha answered. She'd never felt so unfairly judged by another woman. Here she was in baggy shorts and one of Frank's old castaway shirts, while the woman presented before her was perfectly fresh. Samantha stepped to the side, and as she closed the door, the twins' whispered laughter was shut off completely. After entering the farmhouse, the visitor commented, A lovely home, if only a bit... untidy. It's difficult sometimes, being alone, Samantha explained. She shook her head, regretting the confession. There was no reason to fumble an explanation to this stranger. Difficult? Certainly it is. The visitor nodded. She giggled with great femininity before gliding straight to the chair nearest the picture window where the sunlight filtered through. She traced her manicured nails over the chair before turning back to Samantha and said, a glass of wine would be proper for our discussion. The visitor settled into the chair slightly raising the bottom of her gown. And Samantha envied the small amount of golden, smooth skin revealed. Wine, Samantha answered in a vacant voice. She started for the kitchen, then glanced back to see the visitor's gaze had drifted out the window. Straight-backed, the woman appeared to have all the time of the day, So why did Samantha feel so rushed? She went to the kitchen and took down two wine glasses, filled them from the box in the fridge. Before returning, the knife block caught her eye. She set the wine glasses down and absentmindedly reached out. Let her touch settle on the top knife with the longest blade. No, she thought. The visitor only wants to talk, no need to jump to conclusions, no need to be so extreme. She headed back to the living room and passed a glass to the visitor. The woman sipped, her eyes peering over the rim. When she set the wine glass down on the window's ledge, a slight smudge of lipstick marred the rim without taking a drink from her own glass. Samantha asked, what did you come out here for? Where's your husband? The visitor returned, casually. That's none of your business. Samantha snapped. She slammed her glass down, her first defensive reaction since the start of the strange encounter. Besides, you know damn well where he is. Did the visitor smile? Not a smile, a smirk, and although it dropped from the corners of her mouth as quickly as it had risen, it held on a bit longer in her intense eyes before it receded from there too. I guess your Frankie's whereabouts are none of my business, the visitor said, dismissing the awkward moment. She cleared her throat, and when she shifted her posture, absolutely everything about the woman instantly changed. The day seemed to have deepened in the few minutes since the visitor had entered the home. And now, with the woman fully awash in the sunlight passing through the window, Samantha gathered her initial impression of the other woman couldn't have been more mistaken. The visitor was not pretty. Maybe wasn't even young at all. She was repulsive. For one, she was not attractively lean and nimble as her light gait had first led Samantha to believe. She was thin, disgustingly so, with skin so tightly pulled over bones that purplish-blue veins spiderwebbed in each direction. Her lips were cracked like a sun-baked riverbed of mud in full drought. Her hair, quite the opposite of full, had been strung out by time's rake. How could Samantha have been so wrong at the outset? The visitor turned her emaciated face in profile, so she once again stared out the window, and straight into the sunlight. In an old crone's voice, yet at the same time spoken directly, she said, I'll be taking the twins with me. Somewhere out there, Samantha heard the girl's high-pitched glee. The visitor repeated. I'll take the twins, and there's nothing you can do to prevent it at this point. Losing them will hurt you badly. She tapped an arthritically warped hand at her chest before continuing. Inside here, you'll wish you were dead. I want you to leave... But there was no conviction behind Samantha's words. It'll be worse than when I took your Frankie away. Because this time, you'll have nothing left. Please, stop. Samantha said, the words passing over her lips so quietly. It was as if they belonged to someone else. The visitor completely ignored Samantha's plea. You'll be alone the rest of your life, Sammy. You'll want to die. Who are you? That's an easy one, the visitor said. She turned back to Samantha, and now there was no doubt of the evil intent. And the visitors grin. I'm you, and you are me. Their eyes lasered together, boring into the other's thoughts, emotions, and whatever was left of their souls. I'm you, and you are me. It rang over and over in Samantha's head, like a rehearsed lyric. The visitor stood, and Samantha actually heard the crone's joints popping. Without another word, the visitor shuffled from the house and left the front door wide. Samantha sat frozen. I'm you. And you are me. It was the most brutally honest line of poetry she'd ever heard. Outside, the girl's laughter rang sharp like a scream. Samantha rose, stood at the front window with closed eyes, not wanting to look for fear of what would or wouldn't be there. And that fear was real. She felt it in every inch of her body, her aching body, all the way into the depth of her aching soul. She leaned, and when her nose pressed into the window pane, she opened her eyes. A sob of relief escaped her her right hand lovingly traced down the sun-warmed glass. As she stepped backwards though, the fright of her life was presented in the window's reflection, as clear as looking into a mirror. She gasped at the completeness of her transformation. No wonder her joints screamed in agony. No wonder the internal pain was so suffocating. This all has to end. Her gaze slipped downward to her left hand, which looked like a claw. To her astonishment, she now held the longest blade from the kitchen's wooden knife block. When had she grabbed that? In her opposite hand, The cell phone chimed a final message. She held it up and read it, confused. It wasn't an incoming message. There hadn't been an incoming message in over two months. Only an unending chain of outgoing messages to an invalid number, which meant the last message was hers. I'm you, and you are me. There was only one glass of wine in the room, untouched and without a trace of lipstick on it. In her head, it was so impossible to keep straight what was and what wasn't real anymore. What was buried beneath the sandbox, though? That was real. The knife in her hand. That, too, was real. Frankie was gone. The visitor had stolen him away. The twins were gone. Or soon would be. Samantha dropped her cell phone, and it clattered to the floor. She went outside to the twins, not sure if she felt like playing a kid's game, no longer certain of what she wanted at all since the visitor had left. The door closed with a click before stepping down the porch. Sammy swore she heard someone on the other side rattle home the chain lock like an old woman afraid of her own life. Mommy? Next up is a short but very sweet tale by Rachel Azuma. This is Swipe Right for Fun. I sit in my sunken chair as the voice of the professor is almost drowned out by the clicking and clacking of keyboards that echo off the walls of the ancient lecture hall. Picking at my nails, writing a sentence every now and then. I'm not exactly sure why I took a freshman level general ed class my senior year. Maybe I wanted an easy class to fall back on. But as I sit here in the back of the room, rage slowly building as two freshman girls whisper in front of me as if no one could hear them. Plot twist, we can all hear you. I really just want to slam their heads on the desk. I am now second guessing, taking introduction to communications. I grab my phone out of my backpack, slowly unzipping the smallest zipper of my bag. The sound breaking the second of silence that encompassed the room while the professor attempted to play a video he found on YouTube. I grab my phone. The sharp corner of the phone catches the spot on my finger I had just made raw from the furious picking I had done while trying to ignore the loud whispering girls. I remember dropping my phone in the bar on Saturday. I did not realize, at the time, how badly I had broken my phone case. I should probably get a new one. I bring the phone up to my face to unlock it. The soft glow is barely noticeable in the dimly lit room. I check my text messages, one from my roommate. Bitch, you didn't do your dishes. I am just going to ignore this one until later today. Maybe I'll just hit her over the head with the dishes that I did not do. LOL. A text from my mom. She is excited to see me this weekend. I'm excited to see you too, Mom. I add a heart and a kissy face emoji because I know my drama teacher mother loves those. I see a couple texts from my group project, definitely going to ignore those ones. I switch from my text to Instagram. I hear the professor crack a joke. The whole class erupts in laughter. I look up, give a half smile so it looks as though I'm paying attention, then drop my head back down to my phone. I mindlessly scroll through Instagram, Liking a couple of pictures here and there, and I check my favorite page. They just put up a new post about how to properly skin a deer. I put my phone down for a second, rubbing my eyes, and there's still 30 minutes left in class, and I can hear my mom saying, I am utterly filled with oui as dramatic as any old school actor would say. I pick my phone back up and click on the Tinder app. I'm slightly disappointed in myself. I know Tinder is the app that people get on when they want a casual relationship or a one-time hookup, but everyone is on it. I'm just doing it for fun. The app loads and Tim pops up. Tim is studying engineering, loves dogs, and seems to have some affiliation with one of the frats on campus. Swipe left. Then there's Aaron. He's on the hockey team and does not have time for anything too serious. Swipe left. Finally, as I'm getting bored of this, Jason comes up. His profile is different. just says, Swipe right for fun. He has a couple pictures... He looks cute, has a dog. How could I not swipe right on that? And it's a match. Wow. The internet is so <laughs> satisfying. I immediately get a message from him. Hey, what's up? Wanting to not sound too desperate, I wait to respond until my class is over. I grab my phone out of my tiny backpack pocket and see he's already texted again. It says... Want to go on a hike with me? I deaf do not want to go to my last class. I respond right away this time. No need to keep him waiting. I'm sitting ten minutes later, waiting near the trailhead, staring at the ground. I feel warmth on my hand, and realize that I was digging my nails into my palm so hard that I had made myself bleed. Gosh... I must be nervous, I think to myself, as I wipe my hand on my pants. I see Aaron walk up. We hug and introduce ourselves. My hands are shaking. He seems excited and says, Let's get started. A little too loudly, I say, After you! He starts to walk ahead of me, and I reach behind me, making sure the knife in my back pocket isn't showing. He does not need to see it. Yet, I wonder if skinning a deer is the same as skinning a person. Man, the internet is so satisfying. Third this week is another one that could probably serve as a warning about dating apps. Just a note, this one is a little more sexually graphic than I usually have on the show, so please check those trigger warnings. This is by author Mark Wilson, and it's called Dick Pick. Grinder, growler, hornet, scruff. If it was a dating or a hookup app, I downloaded it to my phone and created a profile. Tinder, OkCupid, and even the bottom of the barrel, plenty of fish. I was relentless in my search for Mr. Right. Though most of my matches were Mr. Right Now types. Not a complaint. A little fun on the way to love never killed anyone, right? I've been part of the online dating scene for six months now. Getting ghosted by guys didn't hurt my feelings anymore. Neither did insults from insecure trolls. What did incite a bit of bitterness and induce a week of binge eating was getting to know someone and then being stood up when we were supposed to meet. Like, what a waste of both of our time. Occasionally, shit got weird, which came with the territory of these apps. Nudes were normal and practically a standard greeting at this point people would sooner show you their whole asshole than a picture of their face. Sometimes the stuff guys would send would just be straight up strange. I've gotten messages with pictures of guys who had managed to stuff abnormally large eggplants up their ass. Once, some freak sent a video of him pounding away at a pumpkin. And it wasn't even autumn. How seasonally inappropriate. Anyway, I guess I should be grateful it wasn't ever anything involving gerbils or dogs and peanut butter. Around 2am one morning, as I laid in bed, scrolling through a sea of headless torsos and bare-ass profile pics, a notification banner dropped down from the top of my phone screen with a twinkling chime. I had a new DM. Nothing good ever came from a message sent after midnight, but I tried to remain positive. Perhaps it was another lonely heart like myself looking for love on all the wrong apps. The message was sent from a user named Cleaver42069. No profile picture. Go figure. Just the gray silhouette of a person against a black background that came standard with the account when you started the profile. With a handle like that, I was certain that he wasn't going to be my Prince Charming. The best-case scenario here was that we treated nudes and had a short conversation that went nowhere. Cleaver 42069's message read simply Cut or uncut? Personal or preference? I responded. Of all the random questions guys asked me, this was a first. Preference? He replied immediately. Cut? I told him. To me, an uncircumcised cock looks like a sea cucumber. A minute passed before our video arrived. My prayers for porn had been answered. Hallelujah. I wouldn't have to do the work to find something to jack off to you before bed. Or so I thought, until I pressed play. The POV was of a smooth and skinny, twinkish type in what looked like his early to mid-twenties. He was blindfolded and bound to the bed. Something about the way his face looked like it was about to slide off his head, told me he was in the euphoric grasps of some drug or another. Still, he was pretty cute for a ginger. And yes, the carpet did match the drapes. Twinkie had a pretty large sea cucumber, despite it being flaccid. Did Cleaver 42069 ask me my preference just to give me the opposite? Despite being duped in the unnerving feeling I had from the video... I watched on. The cameraman, who I assumed was Cleaver 42069 himself, set the camera down at an angle. The twink was still in view from head to crotch, but now the cameraman's arms were in the shot as well. One meaty hand grabbed the sea cucumber while the other disappeared from view for a moment. When it reappeared, the hand was holding on to a medium-sized... Meat cleaver. A knot twisted itself out of my gut when I realized what he had in his hand. It was as if my body knew what was going to happen before my brain could fully piece it together. I screamed and clasped my hand to my mouth in horror when, without hesitation, the man started sawing away at the base of Twinkie's tremendous trunk. He was so out of it on drugs that he didn't cry out in pain. He just groaned. Weakly, unable to take my eyes away from the gore on the screen, I watched on, flinching when blood splashed the camera like it was going to get on me or something. As the meat cleaver made its way through the flesh, blood started to squirt everywhere, reminding me of a malfunctioning lawn sprinkler alternating between small and large spurts. I couldn't help but reach down to my own crotch and hold it with my hand. Sympathetic pain radiated from my groin and up into my stomach. When it was finally severed free from the body, the video cut abruptly to a bird's eye view of an empty dinner plate on a TV tray. Seconds passed before I realized what was going to happen. I went to close out the video, but it was too late. I saw the twink's fried and charred man meat land on the plate. Mortified, I managed to close out before seeing anything else. I blocked Cleaver four twenty sixty nine as quickly as my trembling fingers would allow, closed the app and threw my phone away from me in disgust. What the actual fuck? It couldn't have just been a regular dick pic? The video was fake. Or at least, that's what I kept telling myself. It had to be fake. A staged snuff video from some deranged guy who got his rocks off by scaring strangers on the internet. My phone chimed from the floor across the room where it had landed. The sound sent a shiver down my spine. I blocked Cleaver 42069, so it couldn't be him. I sighed, got up, and padded across the carpet to pick up my phone. A text from a number that wasn't in my contacts. I considered deleting the message without reading it. Sometimes it was better not to know. It had to be one of the countless randos that I've exchanged digits with in the past. They were always popping up days after our initial conversation had died, hitting me with a hey, hoping it would be enough to lure me back. As always. Curiosity got the better of me, and I opened the message. Did you like my video? My heart pounded, and my palms became instantly clammy. How the hell did this freak get my phone number? I was in the middle of telling him to go fuck himself, when my phone dinged again, and a picture came through. A lump formed itself in my throat impossible to swallow as i was confronted with a picture of a door bright robin's egg blue with a handmade welcome sign it was my front door And last, but certainly not least for the evening, I have for you an oddly soothing, if not incredibly scary, correspondence by an author who wished to remain anonymous. Is this them actually confessing to something? We'll never know. This is The Murder of Gianna Gray. Writing this letter, I've come to the realization it's the one-year anniversary of the day Gianna Gray's body was discovered, and the case is still considered unsolved. Well, by the public at least. I know who killed her. I know the events that led up to her death, and the reason she was killed in the first place. Of course, I haven't told the police yet, if you're reading this, I can guarantee you won't either. The case went cold a few months back, so there wouldn't be much use for a testimony now, anyways. It would be quite ironic, though. Killer gives witness testimony for their own victim's murder. I can see it now. It would make headlines. I would make headlines. In fact, I'm thinking of committing another one. Another murder, I mean. The thought has taken up every space inside of my brain, and I don't know how much longer I can wait. The media would go wild, I'm sure. Another execution on the anniversary of the last... The story would be a wonderful addition to my already copious amounts of murder memorabilia provided to me by fellow news reporters and journalists. Some of the articles were even written by yours truly. Nothing incriminating, though. I made sure not to be too early to the scene of Gianna's murder. I know what law enforcement looks for when discovering killers. I've watched enough documentaries, read through enough newspapers. You probably want to know why you've received this message. Well, I felt the need to keep the tradition going. After all, I did the same with Gianna. Although, she got hers much too late to alert anyone else. Besides, I took her letter back during the cleanup too incriminating, you know? Speaking of Gianna Gray, let me tell you a bit about her. Maybe it'll give you a hint as to why I chose you in specific as my next victim. Gianna was your average teenage girl. She was always on her phone, never too concerned with what went on around her. That's how I was able to watch her from afar, without her noticing I could learn where she lived her routine she was a very repetitive person we're quite similar in that sense she was big on protests too she always had some new issue with society that she wanted to complain about especially over dinner with her parents quite loving they were too bad their love couldn't save her from me She hated pictures of herself. Nobody could capture Gianna in the lenses of their cameras without incessant complaints beforehand. When she was still alive, that is. I made sure to take as many photos of her as possible in her last moments, and the photographer's camera flashes afterwards were relentless, to say the least. I think you can assume which were released and which have been kept away from the public eye. Really though, I sympathize with her parents. It isn't their fault that their daughter was a little too unaware of her surroundings. You know, she would likely still be here today if she took her eyes off the screen every once in a while. One might even go so far as to say It was her fault she lost her life. I never mentioned that in any of my articles, though. I've never mentioned any of this in any of my articles. God, imagine the backlash. But in all honesty, you should feel special. It's not every day one gets sent the confession to a murder right before they meet their own demise. To the hands of the sender. If only I could leave these letters for the media. Oh, the names they'd call me. The last words killer. The murderous messenger. The messenger who shoots. Not that I actually use weapons that shoot. I prefer to get up close. And personal but I am a fan of the play on words. Even so, these letters are much too incriminating to be left for anyone but my victims. Because I'd rather not be caught before my big debut. We'll just have to keep this our little secret. You can do that. Right? Anyway, back to Gianna. I almost forgot about her. Well... I watched her for about six months before I ended her life. The first time was actually after a Halloween party she'd been invited to. I remember seeing her exit the house, and I just knew she was the one. She didn't drive home, nor did she enter a car with a friend. She just walked, as if she was begging me to follow behind. And that I did. It became my routine, figuring out hers. Every day when I had time off from work, I would just watch her. Of course, I became acquaintances with her parents after a while. It made things so much easier. They still don't suspect a thing. The poor, naive little dears. For all she knew, I was simply a family friend. Funny how she believed that, right up to the very end. Now you, your parents don't even know I exist. They're not around enough. I've witnessed them leaving before you're even awake. And getting home after you're already asleep. I know it bothers you. You tell them it doesn't, but I've seen you in your room crying, telling yourself how much you wish they could be there, how much you need them to be there, especially after all the bad days you've been having recently. Kids can be so cruel, wish you could have known. I was there. I was with you through it all. At least you'll have me holding your hand in your final hours. But alas, I know you've probably tried dialing 911 by now. Let me guess. Your phone's dead? How silly of you to think I didn't plan for this know how you go straight to your room to charge your phone every time you get home from school honestly you've really got to stop wasting your battery like that it's getting unhealthy speaking of chargers i wonder where yours went (laughs) don't worry i'm just kidding it's safe and will be returned within due time for now i just want to have some fun with you Uninterrupted, of course. I'll bring this letter to a close, then. I won't tell you how I killed Gianna. Because I don't see the point. When you've always been more of a visual learner, anyway. As for why I killed her, and why I'll kill you, well, it seems that six months is when I tend to lose my patience. And guess what? Writing this letter, I've come to a realization. It's the sixth month anniversary of the day we first met. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much to all of my authors this week. And thank you for all having the same thought process about cell phones and texting and things. I just thought it was so neat that these four aligned in such a beautiful way. Um, I love how different they all were too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I hope I did your stories justice. Um, if you want to follow the show on social media, you can follow at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Scary to Sleep the facebook page it's not a page it's a group so you have to ask to join and answer a couple questions just to make sure you're not a robot had a lot of robots lately or you know trolls or whatever so just answer the questions you don't have to make them lengthy answers just you know i heard about it on the podcast and what is it it's a podcast <laughs> literally you can just say podcast podcast um and i'll let you in but um yeah uh let's see did I do much baking this week? No. Did I? Oh, I did. I made a coconut cake for New Year's. It was the best thing. I've. It was one of my favorite things I've ever made. It was incredible. I posted about it in Scare You To Eat, the other Facebook group that is the offset of Scare You To Sleep, where we all talk about food. Um, Such a good coconut cake. Holy shit. If you want the recipe, let me know. It's not my own, but I did adapt a few things. I, I changed a couple things in the recipe um, as I usually do, I think a lot of bakers and cooks do that. You look at a recipe and it's kind of, your like jumping off point and then you do different stuff. Let's see. What else can we say? I know some of you love it when I ramble at the end of the week. I just don't have much to say this week. I'm so sorry. Next week I will be coming out with a special episode. Well, special ish. It's just going to be something that I wrote and that feels very um, weird to say that it's special just cause I wrote it, but, um, yeah, I'm coming out with an episode. Um, I'm really excited because, uh, the show is going to get a good, pu- uh, a pretty good push thanks to Acast, my host site, um, the week after that. And I'm very excited. So hopefully we will have lots of new listeners, a lot of new fresh blood to the coven, you know, and I'm excited about that. Yeah. And then remember, please share this, uh, tell people about the show, spread the word. I can always use new people, uh, new listeners. Uh, it's been a weird transition since I went from Spotify to multi-platform. It's just been a, a lot of road bumps, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of road bumps. So, uh, yeah, I'd appreciate if you could tell people that I'm back everywhere and, uh, let me know if you're having issues finding, the show or having any something you know if if you're having trouble getting the new episodes let me know uh i'll try to fix it i'll do what i can like i said road bumps galore so yeah um i hope you have a great night i hope you have a great weekend Uh, i'm very excited for the future i hope you all are too i hope you all had a great new year um yeah so go get some sleep sweet dreams